0: Welcome to Teachers Lounge. I'm Peter Medlin. We're a podcast here at WNIJ telling the stories of education with the help of some of our best educators. So one of my favorite things about our show is that the guests that we have here on Teachers Lounge are all nominated by you, the listener. So if you've got someone that you think we should talk to, someone that comes to mind when I say that, email the show at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, we have our first ever returning guest on Teacher's Lounge. It's Maurice McDavid. He's been a teacher and administrator in his hometown of DeKalb for about 10 years now. And starting next year, he's going to be an elementary school principal in West Chicago. And Maurice is a black educator. So we talked about what he's been thinking about over the past few weeks during this national movement confronting police brutality and systemic racism in America. And we talked about the racial inequities within the education system and what he sees as a black teacher
1: we have students of color disproportionately uh, being suspended, disproportionately being expelled, uh, disproportionately being disciplined in general, then now we've got uh, uh, um, to begin to look at that system, right? When we look at those gaps that exist in testing, right? What are some of those root causes? How do we begin to really um, change some of that. And so it has to change the way that we do things. Now that we're engaging in this open conversation, let's continue it. And I hope that part of it is, is a reconciliation.
0: We also talked about restorative justice and what it's like to see some of his own students leading his protests. This national moment, this conversation, and these protests about racism in America were largely sparked after the killing of unarmed black people like George Floyd in Minnesota. Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, among others. And this conversation, these protests transcend just policing. It also goes into other topics like education, as we mentioned. But I want to talk a little bit about where education and policing intersect. The role of police inside schools. More and more school districts are rethinking if they should have officers in their building at all. And I got a chance to dive into the police-free schools movement and the role of school-based policing. Does having more officers in a school automatically mean more safety? More and more schools are questioning that premise after the protests sparked from the killing of George Floyd. School-based policing is one of the fastest-growing sectors of law enforcement. And when mass shootings like in Parkland, Florida, shine a light on school safety, districts often react by adding officers. Judith Brown-Dianis is the executive director of Advancement Project, a national racial justice organization. Brown-Dianis says police aren't the solution to school shootings. What schools need to be thinking about is how do we create environments where that young person doesn't bring a gun into school. Studies show that students of color are disciplined at disproportionate rates in schools. An advancement project says police presence in schools exacerbates that disparity and fuels a, quote, school-to-prison pipeline. As long as we keep throwing police at the problem and siphoning off money, millions of dollars, to militarize our schools, it makes young people think, you don't trust me, you think I'm a criminal. Brown-Diana says that money should be spent on mental health services like counselors and school psychologists. Jamie Craven is the superintendent at DeKalb Public Schools. He says schools shouldn't have to choose between mental health services and officers. His district just added a third school resource officer, or SRO, this year. The mental health providers uh, are also working in a very preventative role. Our SROs are are doing it you know, from a different perspective. I would never say... You know, one is more important than the other. He said their new officer was hired primarily to support staff at the middle and elementary levels. It was more to help assist with uh, with parents and adults who were upset and showing up at the buildings. Craven says DeKalb's SROs are there to do the obvious as well, like threat assessment and event security. Kip Hindley has been a school resource officer at the Triad School District for 15 years. He echoed Craven's statements about SROs being more than just officers. We're mentors to these kids. Sometimes we deal with kids without fathers or mothers or, you know, they're just having a bad day. So we're mentors, we're counselors. He says his main goal is to make a difference and show that not all police officers are bad. For him, that means going to games and events to support students. Judith Brown-Dianis and Advancement Project don't think officers are qualified to function in that capacity. Why does it have to be a police officer that builds a good relationship? Why can't it be a mental health professional? Why can't it just be the coach? Why can't you know, all of these other people... Hindley says he works with school counselors every day, but bottom line, he says SROs need to be there to protect schools. And in an active shooter situation, he says every second counts. When evil walks down your hall in a school building, who's going to stop the evil? You have to have police in there. But like I said, we go hand in hand with school psychologists and school social workers. He says he only made one arrest at school last year. As far as police work goes, I'm very fortunate. I don't do a whole lot of police work. It was a good school. I don't take many calls, but uh, I, st- I keep busy. That includes assisting with weekend calls that may deal with students or former students. Heinle supports SROs having more training and recently worked with the state to develop a training program for officers. He says it's a 40-hour regiment that includes trauma-enforced care and crisis intervention. Participants also need to be certified juvenile officers. But if officers have taken the national training program, he says they likely won't have to do Illinois' as well. That Illinois training program was supposed to go into effect in January 2021, but Heinley says it'll most likely be delayed due to COVID-19. Meanwhile, some districts are considering whether to remove SROs altogether. The Chicago Teachers Union is one of the latest calling for police-free schools. The Chicago SRO program was called highly problematic by an Inspector General report in 2019 after it failed to make reforms. Changes have been implemented, but it's uncertain whether it'll be enough or if Chicago will join the likes of Minneapolis and remove police officers from its schools. Another Maurice, who's actually been on the show a little bit in the past, too, is Representative Maurice West of Rockford. He's a member of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, and as these protests across the country continue on, West and the caucus released a list of policy ideas to start addressing issues facing the black community in Illinois, and I got to talk a little bit about that with him. The black community is gasping for air, and when Rockford Representative Maurice West says that, he means it literally, as in the killing of George Floyd during an encounter with Minneapolis police. But he's also talking about systemic issues, disproportionately hurting black people. That includes problems in criminal justice, but also education and health. We've already been reminded of self-care disparities when black people are dying from COVID-19 at an alarming rate. West, along with the Legislative Black Caucus, put together a series of policy initiatives to lift up black communities, not just in Rockford, but across Illinois. The list includes a statewide police accountability system to deal with situations like the deaths of unarmed black people. It also asks the state to devote Rebuild Illinois funds and other state money to helping black-owned businesses. Now it's time for my conversation with Maurice McDavid. It's a great talk, and we go into some really challenging topics, so I figured I'd start the interview at its lightest point where we're talking about my long, terrible pandemic hair. Enjoy. I need it, man. I've... I can only disguise it by flipping it over so much. But, like, if I don't, man, it is – it's real, like, real mid-2000s emo if I let it go down.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, Bad chemical romance or or whatever it is.
0: If if it got dyed black, I would look like Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. There you go.
1: (laughs) Don't want to be an American idiot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Fair enough, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, really quick before uh, we started talking about everything, I saw that uh, you accepted a a new job like earlier this year, right?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I will be um, the principal at Turner Elementary School in West Chicago.
0: So, I mean, you've been in DeKalb for a hot minute. That's going to be weird to to be not teaching there. Um, Yeah. So
1: I've thought about it. I out of the 32 years I've been alive, I've spent roughly 22 of them. Longer than that, I don't know. I've, I've spent a long time in in DeKalb. so yeah. yeah, about about 22 of them because I, I went K through K through 12 here. In fact, pre K through 12 here. There you go. Um, so I probably started at four until 18. So there's 14 years, and then I I, I did another 10 years working here. Um, and so yeah, it's been it's been around 24 out of my 32 years that I've spent here in the DeKalb school district, either as a student or a staff member. And um, it was very much so a difficult decision to, to choose to walk
0: uh, away. With your wife on the, on the board, it's not like you get to escape DeKalb schools at all either, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, um, it's um, absolutely been- um, You have a guess I think. Oh, here's- Yeah,
0: the joys of working at home. Uh, so, we love a cameo. We love a cameo
1: during the interview. <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I've got three little ones here. They all go to school here in the district. And so I plan on still definitely being involved in the district, but as a parent now, um, and I think this will be a great learning opportunity for me. Um, the district I'm going to is really just, uh, I've been interacting with them already this spring, um, and it has been really just tremendous. So I'm I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, but anyway, uh, getting into some of the stuff that we want to talk about today, too, and speaking of it being a, a strange time in education with all the COVID stuff going on, I would think about this, where it's like, you know, with COVID, it's really, and especially in education, it's bringing up all of these and really highlighting a lot of the disparities that we already have in education. And now we're kind of seeing that as a greater conversation, just disparities in culture itself now. And I know you wear a lot of hats from, you know preacher to teacher just putting on your educator hat thinking about it from that perspective what have you been thinking about over just the last week or two as as an educator and as a black educator
1: yeah so within the last week or two in particular I, I have watched um, some of the some of the, the, the local protests here um, have been led by a group of young people one of whom is, his name is Andre Allen um, I taught him, uh, in eighth grade, and in eighth grade, uh, we did a Black History Month presentation together. Part of the Black History Month presentation was him and I doing a song called "I Got a Dream," like Martin Luther King. And um, he rapped a verse, and I rapped a verse. So he's a he's a you know a recording artist uh, now, um, but he has been very active in leading uh, these protests. And I thought to myself, I hope that. I hope that my image for him, the image of myself, the image of a man by the name of Atasha Kier, who passed away um, a couple of years ago now, but was um, a, a black male social studies teacher at the high school. I hope that our images helped him, you know, and are still helping him today. Um, to that, that when he says, as he's marching and he he is saying things about how Black Lives Matter, um, you know, really for me, I hope that. My life has been an example of that, um, of of black lives that 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 matter. And you know, I was always very intentional in class um, to point out black lives throughout history that have mattered. And then even to bring it to the place where we recognize that every life has mattered to somebody, right? Um, that, that, that that person that I think sometimes we as society try to write off because they've made a mistake or, or they've made a poor choice or, or um, they've done the wrong thing. Listen, that person still has a mother, a father, a brother, a sister. Um, and so remembering that that life matters to somebody. And so, you know, I've thought uh, a lot about that. I've thought about uh, my own children who yeah. are elementary, school age children. We went to the march on Saturday because I want my children to know. My children are biracial, but but we tell them all the time that it's very feasible, very possible that in this world in which they're going to grow up, they will not be seen as half black, half white. They'll be seen as, as someone who is of African-American descent. And so we want them to, to recognize some of the struggles that have happened in the past. Um, and that as we move forward, I want them to know that their lives matter. And so I'll share with you, you know, the kids were in the backyard and my nieces were over, they were in the backyard playing the other day. And all of a sudden I hear my son shout, no justice. And the rest of the kids respond, no peace. And then my son shouts, hands up. And the kids respond, don't shoot. And, and all of a sudden it hit me that they were That sense of activism, that sense of community, was being instilled, and so I I guess you know that's what I've been thinking about. Is is just I I want our students to know in this district and in the district I'm going to work in, and all across this country, I want all of our students of color to know that that their lives matter, that they have value. And the last thing I'll say, if I can just be very honest, as I have watched, you know, some of the the protesting, um, some of that anger explode out into then rioting I've thought about the safety of my students Um, I want them to be safe I want them to be able to come home after protesting and 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 be well and and be able to go out and protest again the next day um, and not have the 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 issues uh, with with safety
0: do you think that you know with like you said, all these students and all these really young people taking part in these marches, understanding and really dipping their toes in these movements for the first time. Do you think that when we get back to school, that's going to have like a seismic impact on the way that we talk about things, the way that we talk about racism, the way that we talk about civil rights history, any of these things?
1: Yeah, I, I, think, it, I think it has to. I've seen the issues, um, uh, I'm sorry, I've seen the, the, the pictures that have taken half of an image from to, from from this past week or two and half of an image from 1968 and and the Chicago riots of 68 and said, look, look at look at how these two are parallel. So I, I don't think um, that that you can teach a history of activism without acknowledging the impact that it is having right now, today. People yeah, are marching yeah. because they've seen it done, right? People are people are marching. They're making signs because they've seen it done. Um, they're locking arm in arm as they walk down the street because they've seen it done. Um, And so I really would say, especially for my white colleagues in education, that this summer's gonna really need to be a time of some self-reflection, of some ability to to think about what biases maybe am I carrying into the classroom. And and let me pause there because um, I know that there are times where white educators feel like bias there's always a conversation that they have to think about let me explain I'm doing the same thing. let me be sure that I as a black male educator um, and and this fall black male principal who will be I believe the only black person on staff in the building let me be aware of what biases I'm carrying in to that building as I attempt to lead but but we as educators have to begin to think about how are we going to engage in this conversation this is not going to change how are we going to face and root up the inequities that exist within the education system. Yeah. Because this type of energy, right now, it's focused on, on policing. But I think that, that what this is doing is it's opening up people's eyes to the fact that policing is not the only system affected by, by some of these inequities, by some of this injustice. When you look at the idea that we have students of color disproportionately uh, being suspended disproportionately being expelled, uh, disproportionately being disciplined in general, then now we've got a, a, um, we've got to begin to look at that system, right? When we look at those gaps that exist in testing, right? W- what are some of those root causes? How do we begin to really um, change some of that? And so it has to change the way that we do things. Now that we're engaging in this open conversation, let's continue it. And I hope that part of it is is a reconciliation right part of it has to be how do we in the middle of of pulling scabs off right or pulling band-aids off how do we then actually begin to heal that wound and 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 that becomes really important
0: Right. And it's it's even we could even you could take the conversation of education even in higher ed too. something that I was reporting on a lot last year is, you know, retention and and keeping students and keeping black students and students of color. Because a lot of times you see where schools will get really focused on. We need to increase enrollment of black students. Then we'll get there. And then you see the first to second year substantial dropout where you know you don't all of a sudden we we forget about keeping them there once we have them and and what that actually means and what goes into it but one of the things i wanted to bring up too is actually it's kind of a perfect uh segue from what you were just saying was actually a quote that carmen and ayala released from the illinois state board of education where she said i'm I'm gonna read the quote and i'll have you respond to it and talk about so she said it's not enough to simply say racism is wrong anymore for educators, that we have to be alert to all forms of racism in our school policies and respond in ways that recognize and acknowledge and, and seek to remedy those and, and, and speak basically the true experience of our, our black students. So I guess that is something that you were just talking about, right, about, you know, how we can talk about exposing these forms of racism that we see within our education system and not just saying that racism is wrong, but acting.
1: Yeah, it, it, um. And I, I think that ISBE has, has done, uh, the Illinois State Board of Education has done um, a, a good job on beginning this process. Over the past year and a half, uh, I had been participating in writing the Illinois um, State Board of Education culturally responsive teaching standards and looking at how we include some of that cultural responsivity um, in every teacher prep program, as well as in the PD of current practicing teachers. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm super proud of the work that DeKalb has done and having written a diversity plan um, and having had it approved in, in June of 2018, you know, that was a, a process that really, I had seen started uh, in my senior year of high school, 2005, 2006, they had started that conversation. So to then to get to come back and be a part of it as a staff member and see that, you know, approved and and, and um, something that we are currently actively working on. This, this beyond a shadow of a doubt, is a call to action. Um, it is not a call to rhetoric. I've, I've thought about this as I've seen Black Lives Matter hashtag you know, all throughout um, Twitter and, right. and um, blackout boxes. What I'm afraid of is that it becomes a trend, right? Just like the trend on Twitter may be this today and the next thing tomorrow. As I see it become a trend, I don't want it to be trendy. I want it to be a call to action. I, I, it cannot be that we 're going to talk about this and and try to counsel people out of destroying stuff right i 'll listen to you just long enough to get you to to stop you know burning that thing over there no this is this is a call to action and and I believe I think the one thing that really gives me hope is the conversation of generations. When I look at the marches here in DeKalb and in Sycamore. And I see the incredibly diverse population of people that are marching. And I see some older people in there. And I'm really proud of those older people. Some older people who have had to say, wow, I have always argued that this didn't exist. And I apologize. And I've come to the realization that it does. Right? I appreciate that. But what I love is I love seeing young people. Right? Because now in 20 years, when I'm 52, and those people are in there. You know, uh, 30s and 40s, and we're all of a sudden a new generation has come in, and and they're raising their children to say, "Black Lives Matter." Right? Then all of a sudden, we, we we have we have some progress that we can begin to see, and and so I think I'm 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 hopeful. But I but again, I I think it has to be as Carmen Ayala said, uh, Dr. Ayala said, it has to be a call to action, um, and not just rhetoric, and not just Oh, I feel bad. Let that move you to, to do something, and, and and I'll say I understand. There's there's a process. Not everybody's in the same place. If you can do nothing else, sit and talk with somebody, a person of color, and just listen. Listen to their experience. You know, maybe you're at a place where you can go out and march. Maybe you're at a place where you're brave enough then to, to you know actually begin to have policy conversations. Wherever you're at, I'm, 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 I think it has to be a call to action.
0: Yeah, you, don't, you never want these social media things to be strictly performative in the way that social media can definitely be sometimes. And with education, though, specifically, too, it's like we've talked a little bit about you, know, you trying to your impact as a black educator on, on so many of your students, especially as a black male teacher, right? Because we think about nationwide, is it 2% of educators that are black men, something yeah. like that? it's a very small percentage of educators that we have that are people of color and that are black.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. So, um, you know, I think all the more, uh, about that impact and, I, and I'll be honest, I think even sometimes, not only do I think about the impact, I do sometimes think about the, the, the burden of it, you know? And so one of the things, uh, I, I talked, um, with another, um, teacher, Twitter organization last night, um, called teacher to teacher. Um, and they had re-released an article that they had written in collaboration with me probably I don't know a year or two ago about being that that black male teacher right um, wh- they were asking though what are some other things that that we can do to help and one of the things I would send the message meth- to our our um, teachers of color right now is make sure that you are are caring for self uh, you have to have that mental health because we will bear the burden not only of the, the trauma on ourselves personally, but then also trying to help our students who come from other classes that aren't even on your roster, right? Come to sit in your office and say, man, I'm struggling with this, Mr. McDavid. And, and I know, I, I love it. I, I, I'll be honest, I love it. I, I, I appreciate it, but I also do, it is a, um, just an extra burden um, uh, sometimes. And it's not one that I didn't know was going to be there when I signed up to do the job. But I think there are some folk who throw everything in and don't do the self-care, and then that's where you see some of that burnout.
0: Yeah, for sure. Last thing I wanted to ask, and this is just, you could, we could have answered it throughout the course of the interview, but just wanted to ask, is there any part of this conversation we've been having or just things that have been on your mind over the last week or so with everything going on in the world, something that you wish... That we talked about more, something you wish people, something that you think is a little bit more important than people might realize. I am a, I'm a proponent and practitioner of restorative justice and
1: uh, restorative justice asks these four questions. What happened? You thinking at the time, who or what was harmed and how do we make it right? And that's where we're at as a nation right now. What happened? We know what happened. By the way, George Floyd is not what happened, right? That's one Person one uh, uh, dot on the on the timeline, right? We we know what happened, and and there are people who who will argue, slavery ended a hundred years ago, but Jim Crow ended fifty years ago. Some places it ended fifty years ago, right? Uh, redlining still happens today. So, anyways, without getting into all of that, we know what has happened. We know that that the the mindset of of that situation. Was, was white supremacy. And, and there's, we cannot, there's no argument to be had about that when you read some of the writings of our founding fathers. There's no argument to be. The idea that the white male landowner, right, was who got to vote from the jump.
0: That's what it was built on, yeah.
1: And, and, and then, so that's what we were thinking at the time. Who was harmed? Now, now we're getting to a place where we're seeing the harm that was done. But the last question is key. How do we make it right? How do we make it right? So again, wherever people are at in the process, I think, I think one of the key things, one of the key necessities of restorative justice is empathy. And, and so that's what I think we need to be talking about is empathy on the emotional side, is empathy. On the other side is again, that very practical question, how do we make it right? We've got to be, take the rage and the anger and the anxiety and the emotion and turn it into actionable items. What is it that we can do? What reforms can we do for policing that will decrease police violence? What reforms can we do in education that will decrease academic gaps? What, what reforms can we do in housing that will take cities that are even in the north that are still incredibly segregated? Yep. What are the things that we can do to make that happen? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. That, was, that was all I had for you today. And really, again, Maurice, thanks so much for, for taking a couple of minutes and having this conversation. I always really appreciate getting to talk to you on the show, man.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Perfect, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Stay well. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. And along with that, send us your topic suggestions that we should be covering on the show. The email is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share. It's how we get even more people and even more perspectives on this podcast. Special thanks, of course, to Maurice McDavid for coming back to lend his perspective to the show. Big thanks to the Rockford area band Kind Doves for the awesome interstitial music on the show. And find more of their music on SoundCloud and on their own appearance on WNIJ's Sessions from Studio A. Big thanks to Spencer Tripp for our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. Stay safe. I will be back with even more Teacher's Lounge very soon.